We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 255 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and Frances, since we last spoke, the Super League fell apart, Barca won two more matches, and the two Madrid Giants dropped points. I guess we don't have anything to talk about today. Hola, Gules. Um, I think we do. I think we do. I think that what you just mentioned means that we've got a podcast in our hands. Um, obviously, it's not every week that we've got so many good news, especially on the pitch, because everything off the pitch matters less. Um, so, yeah, let's let's go for it. Yeah, I mean, before we get started, though, I do want to give a special shout out to uh, listener Eric for making me feel welcome into my new home. You can't see it because we're still at the camp, no, but I've got a, a whole new setup and I have a bunch of new stuff on the horizon planned for everybody. So I always like to tease that exciting stuff. But again, a shout out to Eric, who is uh, my new neighbor here and a, a devout listener of the podcast. So thanks so much to Eric. Yeah, because we have so much going on here, again, in my personal life, but this is the first one from the new house. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Are you ready, Frances? I guess I'm ready. So are you ready? 100%. 100%. Let's go for it. Okay, so where we're going to start is where I didn't want to start, and that is the fact that I think you and I are both okay and happy with the fact that you and I were talking about this just a little bit, about the Super League falling apart, and it isn't so much about the correspondence that I had with members of our audience, some positive, some negative, um, but at the moment, here's where we're staying, the Super League fell apart, only Real Madrid and Barca remain in technicalities alone, and for me personally... I'm glad that it fell apart. Honestly, I know we were labeled a certain way, but Barca's debt still concerns me to no end. And thinking about the ways that the football club with tourism, etc., helped the city and the region, I do fear that major issues with Barca's finances are going to affect the city of Barcelona and the greater Catalan region in unexplored ways. If their debt, that being Barca's, winds up being as bad as it should be, as bad as it seems to be, if $1.2 billion, and especially those short-term lo- loans are not paid properly. And I, I guess very selfishly, as I was trying to, to go through this, because obviously, I mean, every response other than truly ours was was one obviously overwhelmingly, obviously negative to the Super League happening. And as I said, I guess very selfishly, the most frustrating part of it was that those big clubs that don't really hurt, it doesn't really hurt the people at the top for this to, to blow up and, and to be a mess. And, you know, and it's a point that I had made, it hurts the smallest people on the ladder. And if Barca has finance issues and gets pushed to the second division, which would never happen because of how important they are to Spanish football broadcasting deals, obviously, 
I mean, this would be, it would be the end of the show. Obviously, we lose all our listeners. I know you say that you love your club until you die, but not in the in second division. People are going to leave. So, I mean. I do. Are, I would still record it. I would still be here. I mean, we were, and I would try our, our best, but I mean, financially, we were just, I don't know how it would continue on. Um, we'd want to, but I don't know how it would continue on. So I, I think where I wound up leaving it is that if I was a supporter of any other team, even even a supporter of Tottenham who have their new stadium or Arsenal or, or AC Milan or Inter Milan, if I was a fan of any other team in the Super League and it wasn't, and it wasn't just sitting on Barca's debt, I mean, obviously I would have been very excited to see the Super League fall apart. I would have watched it like everyone else, you know. But as I said, Barca's debt is the, the the anchor to this story that continues to keep me worried about it. But all that said, I think to think about it rationally, I've had a difficult time because I'm a bit too close to this story, and I, I think that's honestly where I stand on it. That I'm I'm just too biased because I have a financial stake in Barcelona completely not going under. Yeah, and I understand people say that they're going to be around, but I mean the numbers don't back it up. Yeah, personally, I subscribe every single word that I said last week. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, the, the good thing about being honest and upfront is that regardless of what the circumstance is after, regardless of what the next, let's just say, result could be, that could be on the pitch or off the pitch. If you've been honest with yourself, then then you've got to be proud of what you said or what you stand for. Um, I am disappointed that the Superliga fell apart, to be honest. Um, as I said last week, I would be much happier for Barca playing high-caliber matches throughout the whole year. Um, I, I, as the listeners obviously gathered from last week's show, I never wanted Barca to leave the Spanish league, but obviously having a competition in Europe that, let's face it, the great big matches only start in January, February, I don't think that's fun enough, to be honest. Also, if there's going to be a competition that would get Barca four times the amount of money that Bayern Munich got last season for winning it. I'm all I'm all up for that. Um, obviously, there are a lot of clubs that a lot of people that disagree with that. But I, for one, think that it seems like UEFA and FIFA have to you know come out of this story like they are the defenders of football as we know it, and they have got the interest of all the all every single club in in the whole world. They defend every club in the world. And, uh, you know, they come up victorious, you know, now we're not watching matches with a little earning in the corner. And uh, I was listening to um, the Spanish media this week because it's, it's been huge in Catalonia, but also in, in Spain. And there was someone there talking and they were supporters of Levante. And they saying, I'm not going to swear on the podcast, but what on blah, 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 blah have UEFA and FIFA ever done for Levante? How has this crusade for FIFA and UEFA defending the small clubs. How has that come about? Why, what impact has it had in Levante, El Recreativo de Huelva, Sporting de Gijón, Oviedo? What have these clubs got with FIFA that they, they, they seem to now be flying the flag for all the small clubs? That I don't understand. And um, the second point is the entertainment of the, of the competition. You know, I, I think that if you had, and I said it last week, I don't think that Superliga is ideal as it was uh, put apart in terms of the founding clubs would never ever be relegated. I don't think that was fair. And if you push it, there were clubs like Tottenham and Arsenal, for example, that haven't really won anything at European level for so many years, even qualified for, I know Tottenham did a couple of seasons ago, but before that, in the last 20 years, they haven't really gone far in pretty much any European competition. So... But a club like Barca, I mean, we've qualified for, I think it's the last 16 every year for the last 20. 
I think that you know, from from our perspective, if if they to, to be honest and to be blunt, I think it makes more sense that Barca and Madrid and the bigger clubs in Europe like Bayern Munich, PSG, obviously they weren't in it um, out of choice apparently. But I think it makes sense that they get a bigger piece of the pie because out of the 100 matches in the Champions League, say, uh, just to give a number that we're going to be played in the next season, in the top 10 of viewership, Barca, Madrid, Bayern Munich, PSG, uh, Manchester United, whatever, they were going to feature anyway. So, well, I, th- I think what people are pushing back on is the, is the closed system. And then, and I've heard it's, it's odd because I, I hear almost a, a watered down response to this from, you know, people here in America. I mean, it was all over. I mean, everybody who didn't know about anything mm-hmm. related to the sport was talking to me about the Super League. And I think it's the, the fan culture is what I, I, I kind of not overlooked as an American, but I think for me, I'm so used to just, you know, the, the, the billionaires and millionaires and, and owners here in the U.S., having their closed system, having their single entity system where there is no relegation, there is no promotion. And, I, you know, I think for me, I not even say I underestimated the, you know, the, the ferocity of, of, a, of how much people would hate a closed system and how that is related to the, the footballing lore and the footballing culture in, in the UK and in Europe and in Germany and France and Spain. And it is interesting, too, that because already, and we, we, we hinted this out before, that the reaction in Spain about the Super League has been so, again, watered down in comparison to what we saw in the UK or uh, even in, in Italy. And that is because for Spain, the inequity is, is I mean, this is from the Spanish FA. So for Tebas, to, it, it is hypocritical because he has allowed Real Madrid and Barcelona to take so much of the pie already. And I'm thinking about where this is going to go from here. So we don't need to rehash what we said. We don't have to rehash all that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the personal, I just want to say, like, Laporta is still in this deal because the club needs the money. That's why he continues to align himself with Florentino Perez on this. He wouldn't do that uh, if Barca didn't desperately need the money. And it completely makes sense to me that people saying that Barca should be punished and deserve everything they get because they misspent their money. I understand that. I mean, that, that's justice, right? And kind of it, it kind of neglects all the people that will suffer from it. I once again want to say that. Um, and not just me. I, I just mean people around the club and people in the region who, you know, the, the club props up so, so many incomes in, in, in that region. And the players were against it. The fans were against it. So any punishment also affects them and nothing happens to the owners. And this isn't just Barca. Yes, Barca is a board with an elected president, but everyone on that board would still be millionaires if they were forced to resign and Barca were in the second division. So for so many people that rely on the success of the club for jobs, that's not just Barca affiliated, but also Spanish football in general, punishments would change lives. And um, the final point before I, I let you go is that I get that people want justice. And if justice for us last week is losing some, some listeners, so be it. So, so be it. But I severely hope that any real justice comes in the, for, uh, in, in the form of making those clubs an example of reform. And I mean, I don't think there's a way to almost push out these owners and the ones who really plan this, because that is the evil of the Super League, which I think I, I need to do a better job of, of counting out that, yes, having these billionaire owners make their own exclusive club is a bad idea. But as we were talking about, I really hope this leads to reform through UEFA, through FIFA, because... I think the idea, and we're going to see this rear its ugly head too, once PSG and Bayern Munich get to have what they want as a part of this too, and Borussia Dortmund as well, because PSG trying to sit on their high horse as well, again, roll my eyes at that. Uh, but yeah, I think as far as reform and what needs to be done moving forward, there needs to be changes, but some kind of super league I think is possible, but it can't be a closed system. If anything, that's what you've learned, that the billionaire owners cannot control everything. I'm all for a, a super league or a... a a, a competition with the 
best teams, if you will, playing more matches against one another. But that has to be an open system. There has to be something that Barcelona can be relegated from. There has to be something that Barca are going to have to deal with. They're, you know, making bad decisions as in, right? So there has to be some kind of consequence in this Super League. If you make bad decisions and bad signings, et cetera, et cetera, you get relegated from the Super League. And I think Barca, just how Barca can be, but don't get relegated from the Liga, they need to be able to be uh, kicked out of this league if they make bad decisions like they have financially and leads to that point. I I think there's nuance to this that I, I, I severely want to add because this is not the We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the Super League. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, uh, and you cannot disagree that it needs to be based on sporting merit, for sure. But ultimately, you also need to make the Super League or whatever you want to call it. Because uh, I agree, it's not finished at all. Um, it may be, I think the seed has been firmly planted and it may not grow now, but I think eventually it will. Um, as I said last week, there needs to be conversations between FIFA, UEFA and the bigger clubs as to not, not with threats, like, you know, you try to, uh, you know, you try to leave the playground so you're not, you're not playing with us anymore sort of thing. That needs, that's too childish, that needs to be um, overcome. But um, if the answer to not having La Superliga is having the new European Champions League, the revised one, in which there are five more um, teams included in the initial group stage and there are 10 teams and they're playing five away, five at home. That's literally adding more games to these players' legs. Uh, That is basically what FIFA and UEFA have done for the last 40, 50 years, which is not really caring about the players, not really caring about the players' rest. And to be honest, not really sharing enough revenue with the bigger clubs or not with the bigger clubs, with any club, you know, because um, FIFA and UEFA are taking 40% of all the money made of all the revenue in the Champions League is absurd, it's ridiculous, and it should not be allowed to happen. Obviously, I think that the Superliga had, was presented really badly. I think that Florentino Perez really could have done a much better job. He could have explained everything much better from the beginning. Um, we still don't know how the other five places for relegation, etc., would have been given. Uh, so th- that wasn't explained very well. And Obviously, the, the overwhelming response from the fans was basically overturned. We don't want this, but... I certainly agree that football belongs to the players and football belongs to the clubs and it shouldn't belong to this sort of big brother um, UEFA FIFA enterprise that takes 40% of of their earnings for their own enjoyment. I really disagree with that. Yeah, and I talked about at the end of last week's show that, I mean, for goodness sake, the Women's Champions League semifinals were yesterday. And Mm -hmm. I can only speak for us here in the States. It wasn't being broadcast on any major network. And here in the U.S., I mean, this is, again, the UEFA, 
well, the Women's UEFA Champions League. You couldn't and yeah. you couldn't even watch it on on like live on Barca TV here in the U.S. because it was blacked out because of uh, because of region. So I could only even watch it on on replay. That's again the semifinals of the Champions League, and what a joke that yeah. is. I, and I, I I mean for me, I don't know who to blame even. Uh, you know, for UEFA well, completely. Let me just do an aside, and yeah. this could be classed as quite opportunist, But which four clubs were in the semifinals of the Champions League? Manchester City, mm-hmm. Barca. Chelsea and PSG. Yep. So the bigger clubs. Exactly. Right. And they couldn't even find a way onto a major broadcast network. It's, it's completely yeah. embarrassing that when we talk about the Super League rolling out and then when UEFA comes out with their stuff every year, that women's football continues to be, I mean, I understand that it doesn't create the revenue generated by the men. That's not, that's not what is being asked of it, right? It's just yeah, being... but it certainly won't generate any revenue if they don't broadcast it in the biggest market in the exactly. world. Exactly. So I was, it was embarrassing to me. And I mean, to me, it was great that it was on Barca TV and that many Kool-Aids around the world were able to watch it. Frustrating here in the States, whatever. Um, but Barca shouldn't really be carrying that game. Again, I'm glad they did. But that should be a major broadcast partner. And the other thing, too, is... For the Super League, punishments potentially to be handed down in the future, punishing Barca from the top down will only hurt the women's program. It will only hurt the academy and the other places where corners will need to be cut. That's what's going to happen here with the Super League punishments. And I, I just don't know how to punish the owners, I say it again, without hurting basically everyone but the rich people who run these clubs. So that's where I am on uh, at the punishment down the line. I mean, I stinks. It stinks that UEFA is wrong and the Super League just happened to be, this is a made up word, but wronger. You know, the Super League is, as, they get a 2% on good ideas and UEFA gets a 15% when all of a sudden then on good ideas. So, you know, let okay, I'm going to put that in the rear mirror. Let's talk about yeah, happier yeah. things. Uh, we're done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually do want to talk about the Barca Femini because again, they played in the Champions League of the semifinals again for the fourth time in five seasons. And they also got an all important away goal uh, in the Champions League against PSG. And with Lyon, who were knocked out by PSG, fortunately, with uh, PSG, Chelsea, and Bayern Munich, just looking at all four of those teams, Barca Femini, not that they're favorites or anything, but they have now, with that away goal, put themselves in a really good spot to make the final again, and they don't have to face Lyon in the final. They have to face a team that has comparable talent and comparable debt in Chelsea and Bayern Munich if they can get past PSG. Because yesterday against PSG, again, I got to rewatch it. It was an ugly game. There were so many fouls, maybe a handball against PSG. I questioned the referee a bit. Not not the best performance by, by them either. But nevertheless, Barca with a better team on the road. And Jenny Hermoso, Caroline Graham Hansen was being doubled by PSG the whole match, giving some respect to her. Mappy Leon was dealing with uh, Catoto and did a pretty good job. I think Barca, though, they did struggle without Patri, who was out due to injury. As a defensive midfielder, I think she hands some organization on the press that Hamraoui just doesn't do. And I'm hoping that she can come back from injury before the second leg this coming weekend. But we'll see. But uh, coming away from it, Barca, just they seem to be in the driver's seat, though. Right, Frances? Yeah, for sure. I'm not going to claim that I'm more of an expert in feminine football than you are. Um, I have watched the highlights. I didn't watch the whole game this time around. Uh, so I really do think that getting an away goal is important. And we're just going to see what happens in Barcelona on the return leg. Yep. Yeah. Jenny Hermoso got the goal on the back post, just floating the back post and made the argument. And I think depending on if Barca win the Champions League or not, I'm going to boost up the, the Jenny Hermoso campaign to kind of remind people that she might be the most informed striker in all of European football this year. So we talk about the Ballon d'Or a lot on the men's side, but I think Jenny Hermoso and Alexia Patea should start to get some shouts for potentially putting themselves in the Ballon d'Or com- conversation on the women's side. Because, I mean, it always usually comes down to international competition for them because the Champions League is not broadcast 
on, on television. And then in the United States as well, Marta is always a, a main figure or one of the U.S. players because of World Cup winning or international winning. Uh, but yeah, I, I think looking at domestic competition and looking at European competition in the Ballon d'Or race for the female side should start to be a conversation. Now, we are going to talk about the men's team. Again, we are uh, how many minutes into the show? About 20 minutes in, and we have yet to even speak about <laughs> the two matches that Barca's first team played since we last spoke. It was Hadafe 5-2, Messi gold. There was a, plenty of Messi in that one, an own goal as well, uh, kind of gross from Hadafe. Araujo gets a header, and then Messi gives Griezmann the PK. Those are the five goals from Barcelona. Villarreal was a Griezmann brace. That obviously happening yesterday. So the way to talk about all of this and make it concise and not make the show go three hours long talking and breaking down two matches that already happened, Frances. I thought we could have and bring it all back. This is in the way back machine for our old, old listeners. I think we should do a little bit of a La Bolsa this week to discuss okay. to discuss some of the good and the bad from these two matches. So I'm putting you on the spot here. So I want to give you a moment to think about it. And I'll go first here with my first stock up. So for those, again, a reminder right. of La Bolsa, it's basically stock up, stock down. That's what we're doing here. So for me, stock up after Hadafe and Villarreal is going to be Clement Langley. After Villarreal, in particular yesterday, Gerard Moreno was coming in, the old Espanol, um, you know, again, we could use plenty of curse words to describe him. He's, he's a Raul Garcia. <laughs> he's, he's, he's that kind of caliber of, of character. Uh, the Casemiro, he fits in that category, and Gerard Piquet knows him all too well in a negative way. So it was, I thought it was going to be Piquet again against his old friend Moreno, but instead it was Clement Lenglet getting most of that task, and it was Piquet having to track, as I spoke about last week, almost sideline to sideline with Paco Acafeo, the old Barcelona player, basically playing underneath Moreno, not really a 4-4-2. It was more of a 4-4-1-1, if you will, for Villarreal. And so I was actually really impressed by Lenglet. Gerard Moreno has proven this year it's Messi, it's Benzema, and then it's Moreno in terms of goal. He already has 20 on the season, and Lenglet yesterday... Two clearances, three interceptions, one tackle, one block shot, and winning five duels. Clement Langley, for as difficult a season as he had, and whether or not you want to say he should still be sold, you know, I think if he is sold, his stock has gone up in the last two or three weeks, and he was good against Adafe as well. So, yes, Langley was a bit on fault for the Chiquese goal. Alba and Langley could have played that better. He got turned around. But all that said, I think Langley was really solid against Gerard Moreno, and I take the positives in that 2-1 win from Langley more than I do take the negative against Chiquese. He was, he was. I think that um, selling Langley makes no sense unless you got an outstanding offer that you really can't say no to. Uh, I think that Langley is definitely good enough to be in the top four centre-backs for Barca next season. You can push you a little bit more, top five. But if you've got Piquet, Eric Garcia, Araujo, um, you've got Mingueza as well. I think that Lenle is, is one of the, maybe not a starter in every game, but he's one of the valid players. And uh, I think that if this season has shown anything in comparison to the previous four, is that you need 18 very good players to compete until the very last match in every competition. And I think that Lenle would certainly add. Um, I think he's had, you can argue it's bad luck, but I think that even mentally as well, he's had a weaker season uh, by his basically first and second season of Barca standards. But that's not to say that he cannot do a job for us. I think he's, he's good to stay. But obviously, if they offer you 30 million or 40 million euros for Lenglet, you sell him. That's, that's, that's quite clear. Now, um, I didn't know it with La Bolsa, but, you know, highest, highest, highest stock, um, arriba del todo de La Bolsa, for me, is Frankie de Jong. Uh, I think that you can pick up from his excellent performance in the Copa del Rey final, but he continues to grow. Um, I was listening to a debate in Catalonia Radio as well, and they even brought it up as well. Um, arguably, Frankie de Jong is now better than the player that 
And Durana Kuma mentioned it in his press conference as well. Uh, he's arguably better already here now than he was at, at Ajax um, because he's doing a lot more playing against, let's face it, and we go back to what we talked about before, uh, much more high-caliber competition. I think La Liga is stronger than the Eredivisie. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. So very physical. Uh, he's effortless on and off the ball. Um, he does get sweaty. <laughs> um, he does get very pinky, especially you know when you're playing at 3 o'clock in, in the Spanish sun. But ultimately, he never really feels tired. Uh, he's very generous with his stride. He's very generous with his work off the ball. Um, I think Pedri has been celebrated all season because of recovering balls and, and doing a defensive job. But so does Frankie, to be fully honest. Um, I also think that the vision and the understanding of the system and the distribution of the ball, that's something that Frankie de Jong in his first season of Barca last year had. That's something that we knew he had from Ajax. So that, you know, that is not the reason to celebrate his improvement. He had that, and that's really, really good. That's why he's a starter at FC Barcelona, to be honest. But the difference now is that he is doing the... <laughs> I'm going to say something stupid now. He's doing the Paulinho runs. You know, the Paulinho crazy runs into the, into, the, into the box, following Messi, whatever. He's doing them constantly. He's doing with a lot more criteria. And he's sort of liking himself in, his, in this new box-to-box dropping from midfield situation and uh, especially in the game against Villarreal he was constant he was involved in every single uh, play moving forward he wasn't sort of holding the ball like um, like I don't know like Messi 15 years ago used to do he is involved but he's offloading he's passing he's overlapping he's associating with Messi very well uh, again you don't really depend on Messi that much when you've got someone like Frankie doing what he's doing um, between Griezmann and De Jong as well, there's been an understanding and they don't tend to occupy each other's spaces. I think, especially in the last match as well, Frankie's finishing could have been a little bit better. Um, he would have definitely got on the score sheet without a doubt. But ultimately, I think he was outstanding in Villarreal and in the, his previous two matches as well. So without a shadow of a doubt, he's one of the better news this season. And as we said over the last 10 podcasts, there's a lot of good news coming from the Camp Nou, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to take the easy one, too. I think you took De Jong, and I, my stock goes up for Ronald Koeman as well because what he's doing with Frankie De Jong is opened up those spaces for De Jong. And what I'd like to see is that if you track the way the Barca been playing tactics-wise, because against, against Adafe and against Athletic Club, against those teams that are just going to defend, 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 defend for 90 minutes, you've got to break them down. And I think you kind of say that it's more about the effort and more about the energy and more about continuing to fight the full time to get the points. But against Villarreal, I mean, it was really a tactical battle between Unai Emery and Kuman, and Kuman winds up winning that one. And I think the, not only the form that Barca are in, but he's taking the things that he learned. In the beginning of the season when Barca were playing with the double pivot, De Jong and Busquets, the press didn't make any sense. You'd have Busquets, I mean, and for those who were listening in the, in the, in the fall, Busquets would be the one to play farther forward, almost as this, this bit of a trident in, in this triangle yeah. pressing in the midfield. But now mm-hmm. the way that Pedri and De Jong and Busquets press... It isn't really even a double pivot pressing, but they understand where they need to be and the moments they need to be in. And I think the press against Villarreal was some of the best that we saw all season long. They were continuing, especially in that first half, continuing to force turnovers over and over again. And De Young, as you mentioned, is putting himself in the positions to succeed 
offensively and he's doing the work defensively now and it seems like we'd have to almost pick one in the fall when Barca weren't getting the results is he going to have a good defensive match or and be in the right spots on the press or is De Jong going to have a be involved in the attack and get box to box and you know I know we say Polino and uh, Tarvidal I want to go farther back and say Bocero is actually the one that De Jong is reminding me of mm-hmm. just because his importance in the buildup, especially against Hadafe, on one of those Messi goals, it was a second Messi goal, when Messi makes that long run re- reminding of us of the old Hadafe run that he made, it was De Jong who worked the one-two, who held the ball up. And for De Jong to basically be playing as almost a, I mean, a right attacking midfielder at times, but then also he's playing back as it, not really a double pivot, but, you know, he's all over the place. And that's a good thing that we can't really pigeonhole him to one particular position because he's been all over the field. So my credit goes to... Kuman not only for what he's doing with De Young, but also for having the system that completely makes sense. And I give him a lot of credit too on the partnership with Griezmann and Messi. Those two mm-hmm. together, and maybe this is again me going twice in a row, but my stock goes up for the Messi-Griezmann partnership this week with Dembele dealing with that injury. Barca were fine because they got five goals in two matches from Messi and Griezmann. Messi winds up having a typical Messi game against Adafe. He's completely going nuts. And then Villarreal, in through, through their midfield, they put Kapu, Parejo and then Cooklin comes on and they put as many bodies on Messi as possible. Sure, fouling him, kind of disrupting things, that disgusting tackle from Trigueros that winds up being a red card that was really worrisome. So Villarreal were putting it to Messi, but because of the system that Kuman has built over the course of this season, you have Griezmann. I said De Jong probably could add the two goals you mentioned, but the fact that he was in those spots is a compliment to the system. Pedri had a long shot. He could have had, and even Busquets in the last three matches has three chances on goal. Two of them were actions. He kind of ran into the ball <laughs> as the ball was kind of pivoting and ricocheting yeah. off him. But still, Busquets getting involved in the attack as well. Araujo getting a goal on the header. And set pieces wind up have been an option for Barcelona. Mingetha, remember against Al- even at El Clasico, Mingetha gets one broken play on a set piece. So Koeman has is, is is basically gotten to the point where he's built a system that Messi, if he has a masterclass, Barca are winning that match 100%. Right? That's what's going to happen. If Messi shows up, Barca are going to win. But for the days that Messi is, is marked well or fouled or can't really find the match the way that you know he always seems to, and he only has to be a playmaker and can't really be a finisher and a playmaker and all those different things, then you have depth. The rest of the squad is in a position to succeed in the point even where that three-man game on Griezmann's first goal yesterday. I mean, Gaitha, that long pass over the top only happens because Messi checks back to the ball and Griezmann curls his run and vac- in, in vacating that spot. That is how you draw up a, a, a three-man attack or, or the third-man option, if you will. That is how the third-man option works to a T and Griezmann finishes off with a little dink. So, I mean, I went twice there, but my stock is way up for Kuman system right now and my stock is way up for the partnership between Messi and Griezmann as well. Sure. So am I going for the stock down? Is that how these works? I guess so. We haven't really hit one of those yet. I mean, I think we might have... I only have one name on that list, and it might be the same person. I don't know, because obviously we haven't spoken about this, because yeah. I don't know this what's happening. I mean, <laughs> you know, we just wing it here. Uh, Dan's super prepared. I know nothing. So I don't know what you're going to say, but I think that Sergi Roberto's stock... That was exactly it. That. That's the that only one yours? I had. That's the only one I had. I mean, Barca have won every match. I've got two then, but let okay. me say I was Sergi first. Yeah. So um, let's be fair to him. He's just come back from injury. Not just injury, injuries. So he's been out for a considerable amount of time. Now, unluckily for him, from a sort of individual selfish perspective, unluckily for him, Serginho Des has grown enormously in his absence. Um, I don't think that Serginho Des is the finished product at all just yet. 
but what he certainly adds is that um, that ability to dribble and that willingness to that resilience to just try and try and try again and then eventually get through. Um, so that is something that Sergio Roberto just does not have um, at this moment in time. And if you look back over the last three years, he's pretty much been a starting right back the whole time. He never really had it. He's not incisive. He's good in association. He's good in possession. And uh, he's good at not making too many mistakes. He's become stronger defensively, which is credit to him as well. But I think that, especially when you're playing with um, with three centre-backs, obviously centre-backs um, opened up to the side, with Mingueza and obviously Lengle on the other side and Piquet in the centre, you don't really need a right-back. And you don't really need a right-back that is going to be as conservative as Sergio Roberto, let's face it, is. So when Sergio Des comes off, the difference is quite, I'm not going to say abysmal, but it's quite noticeable, that Barca's willingness to move forward is just not the same. Um, I've got a stat that uh, was quite eye-opening that uh, was mentioned in the retransmission in the Catalonia radio during the game. And uh, in the first half, and it, it's not really Sergio Roberto, it's not on the right, it's not Sergio Roberto against Test, but Jordi Alba had five crosses on, like significant crosses inside the area in the first half. And in the second half, he had between zero and one. There was one that you could give, but it, was, it wasn't sort of a, a run towards the byline. And in Sergio Roberto's side, I think he had one significant cross, whereas Sergio de San Alba was zooming through both sides the, the whole of the first half. Now, you could say it's uh, situational, you could say it's circumstantial, you can say that, you know, Barca were far more defensive in the second half in Villarreal than they were in the first one, but I think that's no coincidence. So if you have to just pick the one whose stock has gone down, and obviously we're saying this in the context that we're winning a lot more than we used to. Yeah. And Sergio Roberto was not awful. But I think that, yeah, substituting Dest hurt us offensively. Yeah. And so I, I want to wrap up for my, at least my La Bolsa. So this is the last one I have. So my stock is even on Pedri because yeah. Pedri. That was my second one. So, oh, for going down. So I argue that it's my, that his stock is actually even because I think. People are getting on it that he needs a rest, that obviously the Mickey Poo's okay. But anyway, Pedri's being asked to do a job. <laughs> Sorry, what? What are you saying? <laughs> Pedri's being asked to do a job. And he's Dan, doing... you were saying you mentioned who? Shall we talk so... about it for the next two hours in the podcast? <laughs> it's okay. So Pedri's being asked to do a job and people are asking for him to get a rest, which is fair. I, I think especially against as the season dwindles down, as Barca only have six matches left, and this is where we're going to end the show after this by talking about the Liga table and the standings and all that stuff. Sure. But people are asking for Pedri to get a rest. And I want to remind people that what Pedri is being asked to do is supremely complex. And that's why I just have to give it an even. Because even if he is tired, especially in the second half, it seems like Barca looking tired in the second half of both matches. There's different levels of pressure that they're bringing both against Adafi and Villarreal. So that drop-off, not so great. That is where my stock would go down, would be the second half for Barca recently. I want to remind people, too, that Barca have the most goals of any side in the last 15 minutes in the Liga this season. Villarreal, meanwhile, had the, the most in the first 15, but anyway, it winds up being the 23rd minute, whatever it was. But Barca wind up, uh, have, have been really good in the second half of matches, both in the Copa del Rey, obviously, with all the comebacks, and the Liga, and that has helped them get to the position they're in in the Liga table at the moment. All that said, Barca have not been great in the second half against Hadafe and Villarreal. Now, Hadafe, they were up. They could probably take their foot off the gas a little bit. Villarreal, that one was kind of a dogfight, and Villarreal fought back with 10 men. Sometimes that red card does galvanize you. All that said, Pedri did look a bit tired, yes, but again, to, to conceptualize what he's being tasked to do 
you have to watch his positioning. You have to see the yeah. things he has to do. Like against Hadafe, his job against Hadafe, and this makes a lot of sense, against a low block team like that, the way to do it is to exploit the space when they do, on the occasion, bring men forward. And so on the occasion that they did, five goals, at least three of those, were even if he wasn't directly involved, came down to the positioning of Pedri when Barca were able to take back possession in their own third. So what happened was there was a moment, I think it was PK or Langley, one of the two, winds up getting the interception, finds Pedri, and he winds up being the release valve on that counterattack. Pedri's the one who picks it up in his own third and looks immediately to Griezmann or to Messi or to the diagonal ball for Jordi Alba or Sergino Des. He winds up being the release valve, and that is such an important task. Yes, Busquets does it when in possession. And so Busquets, I think even on that first goal to Messi, where he winds up that beautiful, beautiful through ball straight through Adafe's lines, he gets the credit on that because we had time to process what he was doing. But on the counterattack, Pedri was essential to becoming to taking some of that pressure off. And against Villarreal, he winds up having an entirely different job. And his job that time was actually to man mark Danny Parejo, which he basically did in the first half out of the game. And that was what Pedri was tasked to do, to follow either, well, Parejo and then, or it was Capu. And Capu's got, what, three inches and like 40 pounds on Pedri? And yet Pedri physically did that job. And so I completely understand why the kid is exhausted in the second half. But the things he's being asked to do is the nuance, to support Messi when Messi's in possession, to be a release valve for Busquets for him to make those line-breaking passes. So if the ball is interception, Pedri's in the proper spot. I'm going to say it again, rest defense. These are complicated things that an 18-year-old kid is being tasked to do. He's not just, my stock also has gone up for Conrad De La Fuente, by the way, four goals in three matches as Barca B are nearing the promotion playoffs. But anyway, so for the young players like Conrad De La Fuente, if he was called up to the first team, his only job would be to run at the defense, right? Serginho Des, what is he being asked to do? He's being asked to do a bit on the defensive side, but when he gets the ball, and this, I would love to patent this, Frances. Uh, this is an idea I have in the works. Someday I want to try to work with Serginho Des and try to sell his own sauce because he has more sauce than almost every player I've ever seen. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I had that one in the chamber. So Des, you know, his job is to dribble at the opposition and to uh, the unbalance the back line and to stretch the field short. But Pedri is being asked at an 18 to do really complex things. So my stock frame is even even because, yes, he's not really impacting the game offensively, but he's being asked to do so much stuff. There's no way I can put his stock down at the moment. Well, I hope, I, hope he, I made the argument to sell, sell uh, not to sell, but to buy Pedri. Buy Pedri now. Buy that stock, Fred says. Don't sell your Pedri well, stock. <laughs> just tell me where to go and we'll be investing on that. Yeah. Um, Pedri's progression this year is arguably the biggest success story of the whole of Barca, if you've got sort of a particular player. And um, I've got no much more to add to what you said. I don't want to repeat what you said. Just, just he's 18. He does extraordinary things on both ends of the pitch. And he has declined a little bit in offensive production. Um, that's, I think that's quite clear. But what he brings to the team is, is essential because Barca, and we've seen this before, is not a team that needs 11 superstars. It is a team that needs Messi to be the superstar and everybody else doing exactly the job that they need to do. And, and Pedri has been the best partner that Messi has found. I'm going to not exaggerate here over the next, over the last four seasons, he's the best partner that Messi has had since we had El Tridente, to be honest. And uh, he's done it at, at 18. He associates well, and, and he's the best partner that, that Messi could wish for. Obviously, Ilash Moriba coming on, uh, to be honest, I don't really care who comes on. I just, I don't, I, I'm a Barca supporter. I'm not here for the one player. I'm here for the team. And if Kuman, who has turned the club around, 
thinks that Ilash Moriba needs to be the one coming from for Pedri because of his physicality, but not just that, because that's easy to say, physicality, speed, whatever, but his um, aggression, his willingness, his understanding of the Barca system, and let's, let's say it as well, because I don't, I don't really hear many people saying this, his ability to play the ball to the right spots, yeah. which is something that when Ansu Fati got promoted, everyone went for, oh, his speed, his goal scoring, but his understanding of the Barca system was second to none, and that's why he you know he's loaded like a like a little puzzle and let's face it as well he doesn't want to take any protagonism he doesn't want to be you know tweeted about all the time he's just there to do a job this is Pedri and Bozales Moriba and I think that Kuman is right to trust them both and uh, to give Ilash more and more playing time as the season develops. Yeah, and the final one, this is where we'll, we'll cap the show, is when we look at the Liga table, the final La Bolsa uh, stock to look at is the fact that Barca's stock is up. They have played one less match, so Granada is the one to make up on Thursday. And if they were to win that match, Barcelona are at the top of the table through 33 matches played. They'll wind up being on 74 points. And Granada is a tough team, as I mentioned earlier, Europa League, but Barcelona have dealt with Granada pretty well. There are teams that Barca don't match up well with, and there are teams that Barca do match up well with. And Granada is actually one of those teams that they do match up well with because Bar- uh, Granada would like to play. And if you play with Barcelona, Barcelona will play with you. And Granada defensively are really well put together. But as we've seen in recent weeks, whether it's Griezmann, whether it's Messi. And remember, Dembele has kind of been dealing with that injury. And the fact that Dembele gets to work his way back from an injury and not be thrown right into the fire is something almost new. That, yes, he was hurt this year. And it's been a great sign for the first time in his career, right? He's been able to just, hey, we'll give you 15 minutes at the end of the last two matches to get reacclimated and, and, and find your feeding again and, and yeah. just get healthy to check to see how you're doing. And that's, I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah, it is. And I think that for Barca to be able to do that, then it links back to Griezmann performing at the level that he's performing. Because Kuman was not desperate to get Dembele back in the team because whoever took the spot, in this case uh, Griezmann, is doing a great job. That's the same reason why Piquet didn't really need to be rushed back. Um, some people could argue that he was rushed back anyway uh, for a classical. But it is important to know that the subs are keeping the, the subs. You know, the 13, 14, 15, 16, 17th player in the squad are the ones that are keeping this team alive and yeah. are the ones that are making the biggest difference sure. from previous seasons to the current. Um, as to for the situation in La Liga, um, you cannot count the chickens before they hatched, so we need to play Granada for sure. Um, I think that Barca, having just won the Copa, the Copa del Rey and having found a system that is solid at the back, because we, we've talked about you know, the, 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 the final two-thirds, the, four attack, the two attacking thirds um, throughout the, this show, but that we can do all that because the three centre-backs at the back is actually working very well, and the, the defence is really solid. It's enabling our full-backs to push forward, so it were not really that challenge at the back. Um, and Granada, you know, they're, they're, as you said, they're a team that like to have the ball, but I don't really see them coming at us too much. I think if we can secure the back, we can push forward with all the weapons we've got, and we should be winning that one, really. Um, with five matches to go, given the momentum and the 20, because it's not just the last three matches, the whole of the 2021 year that we're having, it is hard to see how a shaky Atletico de Madrid are not going to drop any more points, really. I think they will. And Real Madrid, obviously, still challenging for the Champions League as well. They're not going to put all the artillery, all the artillery 
in La Liga, even though they would like to, but I just don't think they've got enough. So at this moment in time, Barca have got a very good chance of, of going all the way. And I know that the vast majority of our listeners listen to us every single week. I am flabbergasted that this group of players, with this coach, starting the season with no president, Barca Gates, uh, Bartomeu out and all of that, to be in this situation with six matches to go, to me, it's extraordinary. To be honest, I don't remember any any season like this for us since the Johan Cruyff Tenerife Ligas back in the 1990s. Um, and I was debating whether to say this in the podcast, but I am going to say it anyway, because, you know, who cares? Um, back in the day when Johan Cruyff was the manager in Catalonia, everyone talked about Cruyff's flower in his butt. It was, uh, it's a Catalan expression. I don't know if you translate it well into English, but uh, it's all about being lucky in the key moments. And uh, I'm beginning to think Kuman has in- inherited that flower. Um, maybe it's a combination between the Catalan flavor and you know Holland, etc. But let's hope that they water it and we continue to, to enjoy it. Yeah, uh, Johan Cruyff yesterday would have been 74 years old. So happy birthday yeah. to the whole Cruyff family for Johan Cruyff. And yeah, this is the interesting Cruyff stat I had for you. 71 points and 76 goals now for Kuman in his first 32 La Liga games. And that stat is courtesy of Mr. Chip on Twitter. That's two more points and eight more goals than Cruyff's Barcelona in that same period. So mm-hmm. for as good as Johan Cruyff came, hitting the ground running at, the, at Barcelona at the Camp Nou. And yeah, I mean, the most surprising thing to me of this whole thing is it's just Messi. Is that Messi, after all the things that happened over the summer, after emotionally saying goodbye to the, to the captain... After seeing him struggle out of the gate when he had gone through all that emotional stuff over the summer and then he didn't really have a real preseason and, you know, he was struggling, the guy's going to win the Pichichi Trophy. The guy already won the Copa del Rey Trophy and he's going to potentially be the captain to what has been a miraculous comeback for the Liga title potentially. Uh, And you mentioned six games left. Yeah, it's Granada, it's Valencia, Dennis the one that matters, Atletico Madrid, Levante, Celta de Vigo, and and Abar. And to me, the way I see it is that even if Barcelona now at this moment... I mean, this is just math. Even if they draw with Atletico Madrid, if they win their other five matches, which again, Granada, Valencia, Levante, Celta de Vigo, and Abar, all of those teams are farther down in the schedule than even Villarreal. So they don't really have, they don't have another top seven team in the Liga other than Atletico Madrid. So if they can actually almost live with a draw against Atletico, if they can just win five other matches. And that is certainly something that FC, this FC Barcelona team can do. So... Yeah, we started the show quite negative, but I wind up uh, ending it on a positive note because I think that's, uh, again, the stock is up for FC Barcelona at the moment, and La Liga is back in their hands. They took care of business. They won the match against the, the teams they had to in Andafe and Villarreal, and the other teams, as we mentioned, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, uh, they're, they're, their horses are, are running on dry, and they're dropping yeah. points, and I, you know they also have those matches left. So yeah, I'll give you the final word, then we'll, then we'll, we'll, then we'll uh, say goodbye. Just to say that Ronald Koeman yesterday in his press conference used words from Diego Simeone, uh, which is partido a partido, which is match by match, mm-hmm. which um, I really don't remember any Barca manager, to be honest, ever using. But he's totally right. If we can fight the 90 and be successful in the coming matches, um, even if we drop more points than the ones you just mentioned, I think we should, we should, still, be, we should still be champions. See what happens. Yep, Capion has uh, work to do. And I, I keep saying it on the, the locker room, on the Barcelona uh, YouTube and, and Twitch, and I, on, the, on the live coverage that we've been doing, 
that there are six finals. That's what it is. It's six finals. Zidane says it so much that we kind of roll our eyes at every press conference. He says every match is a final. But for Barca, it really is. They control their own destiny. Six finals. Six matches that matter. They don't have to worry about the Champions League. Now, you know, they worry about the summer. So for all those who say, why is Pedri starting every match? It's because there's only six matches left. That's why. Is that there's six important matches. So Kuman is going with the 11 players he trusts. The subs know their job. They're coming in. As you mentioned, they're changing the game. So Barca in a good spot. And I think that wraps up another edition of the show on a really positive note. So again, we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. You can find me on Twitter at HiltonD13. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Uh, you can ask questions there. And then Patreon is how we continue to make these shows. Again, thank you to all of them all over there. And that's, again, how you also get to me personally. And you can also listen to these shows without ads. And it's a little incentive to support the show. So we're on YouTube. You know, they're, they're there with the match reviews. They come out the day of the matches or uh, or the early in the morning thereafter, but usually the day of. Uh, that's the Barcelona Podcast. And with the summer coming up too, Frances, we've got some fun stuff planned. I remember the survey that we did a few, few weeks ago or yeah. even a few months ago. So we got a lot of different ideas about what people want to hear from. And so the YouTube channel is a place for that. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza the Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.